Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Sourcefine Asia, co-host of Manager the Podcast, host of the Sourcefine Asia YouTube channel, back with another one in uh, another Zoom epic podcast. Uh, we're sitting here with Alan Scanlon, frequent guest on the YouTube channel of the podcast. Alan, how's it going? Good, man. Good. Um, yeah, can't complain. Life in Hong Kong isn't, isn't too bad. Um, and what it seems to be compared to what it seems to be like in, in the rest of the world. Uh, of course, my co-host here, China Mike. <laughs> I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. about the uh, situation in Hong Kong is we were talking before the before we got on the mic here about what's going on there and I find it real interesting just being here in the States and trying to understand the situation and things are still in pretty heavy lockdown most states have extended lockdowns what's what's the situation looking like there yeah I mean we've we, we, I mean I've spoken about it loads with, with with people here how lucky we are that life hasn't really been that different. So you can't gather in more than four people outside. Um, restaurants are at 50% capacity. So like, I mean, there's a bit of getting into places when you go out for lunch or breakfast or whatever. But again, that's all completely understandable. Bars are closed, which, I mean, is a good thing for me. But yeah, I mean, life's pretty normal. Like we were, we had the long weekend here and we were, we were out we're out all weekend with friends. Um, you're allowed privately. You're allowed to have more than four people, but it's just out in public. But then even like I was out for a run this morning around our park. So they've shut off the kind of little outside gyms, but there's still loads of people in them working out, and nothing's really said. And it's actually more local people as well. And um, I think if there was guaylos in there, there'd be there'd be shouts, there'd be shouts at them, and then people running. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite hard to run around the running track because there's so many people out there. Um, which again, I think with the fitness industry, I think people are, this whole thing, I think people are making a big effort um, to try to get fitter and stay healthy. Which again, I think we've spoken about it before. This, I think the whole fitness industry after this will, will get even more ramped up in Asia than it currently is. But yeah, no, life, life, life's okay. Life's not too bad. That's cool. You were telling us about the situation when you're entering into buildings there. In some cases, you have to sign a waiver. In other cases, they're at least checking your temperature almost everywhere you walk in, yeah? Yeah, so yeah, every so every restaurant you go into, they have their little station at the front where you everyone checks your temperature. They have hand sanitizer. You have to wear a mask. You're not allowed into the restaurant or cafe if you're not wearing a mask. And then a lot of places will have you sign a waiver saying, you haven't been traveling in the last 14 days. You haven't met anyone who has been traveling. But yeah, that pretty much any apartment block, not, a, not apartment block, any office block you walk into or any commercial building, yeah, your, your thermometer is, is put at your head and, and most places you have to, you have to um, sign a waiver. And the big thing is the masks. Uh, like everyone in Hong Kong, apart from the odd person on the street, is wearing masks. And if you're not wearing a mask, like... I go out for a run in the morning, 
and I'm not going to wear one to the park and back because it's five minutes away and you get dirty looks from people of like, why, why you're not doing it? And I think, again, they're kind of, there's definitely been a few things of going around about expats and guaylos not wearing masks and, and local people not being too happy about it. That's incredible that that's going to start to be the new standard for leaving your house. Well, this I was saying to you before as well, I think a lot of countries are going to look at Hong Kong and look at them as an example. I mean, there's only been, there's been 1,039 cases and only four deaths. And I mean, the only thing I can really think of is the, the main reason is the masks. From day one, people have been wearing masks, especially all the local people. And then ever since the spike that happened, I think it was in March, there was a spike from a lot of people coming back, a lot of local kids coming back from college and from university from the UK and from the US. So there was a spike then. And I mean, I'm talking like we went from 100 cases to 400 cases in a week and everyone freaked out. Um, and then everyone started wearing masks. So I put it, yeah, I mean, I put it down to that. And I think a lot of people will look at it. I mean, we've spoken about it before and, and why we've gotten into the PPE game. A lot of countries aren't telling people to wear masks because they don't have the supply. Where in Asia, it's a very common thing. So all pharmacies would sell them anyway. So it's, it's like if, if people feel unwell in Hong Kong, they wear a mask all the time. So yeah, I definitely see it. once the supply can get to these places, I think they'll be, they'll be pushed on the general public more. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, the numbers you said, considering how condensed of a city Hong Kong just completely relies on public transit and you're just constantly next to people at all times. It's, yeah, and it's on China's doorstep. Because yeah. there, I mean, yeah, there I mean Hong Kong, in, uh, Hong Kong would essentially be like a New York situation, right? And New York is the got hit the worst in the states. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, and a lot of people, again, when you kind of listen to podcasts and people don't really know what they're talking about, they 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 keep saying one of the main reasons that it's spread so much in New York is because it's so condensed and everyone's on top of each other. But I mean, Hong Kong is even more condensed than New York. Yeah, and it's definitely like when you're out in the streets, you're like you're beside people all the time, and I don't think it's like that all over New York. Maybe in most parts of Manhattan, but um, yeah, I, I just yeah, I think it's I think it's the masks that have helped Hong Kong a huge amount, and also they were because of SARS in two thousand and three, they've gone through this so straight away they took it seriously, whereas a lot of places seem to have started taking it seriously too late. I think also um, that South Korea had some similar situation where they, they had a virus, I think it was like last year, and they had some protocols that they put in place. So yeah, they, they, they were South Korea and Taiwan also. Yeah. So they, um, they, they've had a, a pretty low infection rate as well. The, the, the testing in those two places has been phenomenal. They had drive-through uh, drive testing going on where they were just people pulling up their cars, which is... That seems to be the way that it's being controlled, where they have had large breaks of it. Yeah, and then when they notice a positive case, just really isolate that person. Yeah. Do you know anybody that's been infected directly? Uh, my connection's unstable, by the way, so I don't know if you guys can still hear me. I can hear you. Um, so no, and no one I know directly in Hong Kong who's had it. A friend of mine who came back from uh, Phuket 
have to go into the lockdown. So he had to get the electronic wristband. And then he rented an apartment in Moncock because he lived with someone. So basically, when you get to your apartment, you've got to walk around your perimeter, which tracks it all on the band. And then you're kind of locked in for two weeks. And if you leave the apartment, the cops are notified. So he had that on. And then as well, my girlfriend's dad has had one as well that he had to stay in his apartment for two weeks now he arrived in the day before or the day of the actual official lockdown and his wristband didn't work for the two weeks so he could have left but he like just did the responsible thing and, and stayed in but there was like cases of people who were caught out in the streets with it on and like local people screaming at them and like going mad that they were doing it so and then a, a couple of charlotte's friends um in london and one in new zealand got it and as i was saying to mike before they, they their their smell and their taste went but they didn't get really sick they just they just had that issue for for a few days i i don't know anyone directly but i know that um you know scroll i know in china she went to a restaurant and uh she was at like one of the popular restaurants in Zhuzhong, Newtown, and the waitress, the next day she gets a phone call from, I guess, somebody from the, the CDC in China and uh, was like, hey, you know, the waitress that served you yesterday tested positive for COVID-19. You have to come and be quarantined for for a week and a half, two weeks and be tested. So, yeah, they basically took her two days later and, and basically took everybody that was at the restaurant that she interacted with during her work. And then they all put, put them into some, like, into like a ambulance and you know they had the hazmat people come through the apartment and you know she got tested two three days later luckily she was tested she tested negative but they still kept her in quarantine for two weeks after that yeah so it was like kind of a weird just hearing somebody's first-hand account and then she was staying in one of these hotels where they had both foreigners and uh chinese people that were all in quarantine and she was yeah she she said it was pretty normal apart from the fact that you know you can interact with people and it's like distant social distancing in the restaurants and everything and then yeah she was like the <laughs> she said the foreigners were complaining more than uh <laughs> than the chinese people which i guess would be normal yeah in the same way they're out with the with the anklets in hong kong you know they just can't help themselves well, they, a lot of the a lot of the cases of the people with the bracelets out in Hong Kong were all local people. Oh, okay. They're local, local Hong Kongese people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the one I heard was um, a father and a daughter were out having dinner, I think, or they were out in the street, and it was the daughter um, had one on. So some some guy saw it, started screaming at her in in Cantonese, going, "What are you doing?" You're right, and then telling everyone around. So they started walking, and this guy followed her for ages. They tried to get in a cab, and he started shouting at the taxi driver, going, she's got a bracelet on, she shouldn't be out. And the taxi driver was like, I'm not taking you, get out of my cab. And he followed them the whole way home until they got to their apartment. And, just, and apparently the dad eventually turned around and was like, we won't come back out, we won't come back out. So uh, it's, just, it's just crazy, I think. And as well, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, if you've got one of those bracelets on and you're going to go outside, would you not just wear a long sleeve top and just cover it up? Like? 
Yeah, there's definitely ways around that. Like, has it, so what if you leave your area wearing the bracelet? Like, what happens? They 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 arrest you? Like, will you get fined? Or? Yeah, I mean, it was. It's a big. It's a big fine. I have twenty five thousand Hong Kong dollars in my head. If you get caught, if you're prosecuted, and I've heard, I heard the last I heard, which was which was a while ago now, there was six or seven people have been prosecuted who just weren't obeying by it. So yeah, there like there was quite a hefty fine, but I, and they have to put that in place, right? Because if they don't have a fine, everyone just walks around with it anyway. Because you've, it's the same as anywhere. You're going to have people who just think this isn't an issue and can walk around and or don't think they have it and are going to go around spreading it. But uh, I heard about about six or seven being prosecuted, and then of course, and then there's people who were actually put into the official quarantine areas. So there was like rooms in apartment blocks or whatever it was that were made up for for them, and you're you're stuck in there for your two weeks, and they supply you with food and and toiletries and things like that. Transitioning to the business side of things, when and how did you first get into the PPE product? Yeah. Was it about six weeks ago when you messaged me, I think maybe five or six weeks ago, talking about all these requests from the US when you were... Yeah, roughly. It was like end of March, like last week of March. Yeah. And there was these guys on looking for hundreds of millions of masks and and wanting them now and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it was then that we just I mean, started looking at things and it's funny because I think at the start it was nearly it was nearly more interesting to keep busy because things had gone so quiet with everything else. And then obviously learning about all this stuff, like learning about the mass, learning about the certificates, trying to locate the factories, making sure they're all legit. And um, obviously I think there's I read recently there's been thirty-five thousand new PPE factories have opened up since this has all started. So like you're trying to figure out who's trying to rip you off and who's who's and that's that's the that's the official number because i mean it's like even the factories that haven't registered are, are producing ppe products right now. yeah oh so it's only it's thirty five thousand that have registered yeah uh, yeah because i mean we have like just talking to some of our suppliers for other products like electronics toys they all started making masks <laughs> the last the last month and a half you know so i don't know i mean when we got in, involved in that uh, fidget spinner project, a lot of factories like repurposed just to do the spinners, but this is fidget spinners on steroids, man. Just every everybody that had some sort of similarity to to anything in production with the PPE equipment, like yeah. you know, like the, the diaper factories or some other other factories making similar type products, they all converted immediately. Well, it was like, I, I think, I think maybe about a week or 10 days before you approached me, Rico, I was getting emails. I was getting four or five, six emails every day. You know, we're making masks. This is what we're doing. Keep safe. And I was kind of going, this is all a bit weird that all these factories, I was getting like, like random factories messaging me who make completely different products. But, um, I think the way it's kind of shifted and the way our, our, I suppose our business model has shifted from the start as well as being quite interesting from having these massive requests from like remember that billionaire from America who wanted 300 million masks and like but they're like I'm not paying deposits because like that was that whole the roadblocks I suppose has been has been challenging but it's been good as well and 
all these people who don't know how to deal with China and they were like, why would I pay a deposit? Why, why can't you finance for like this $10 million order type of thing? So dealing with all that has, has, definitely been, has definitely been challenging. And the way I suppose we've kind of pivoted to, to our business model and buying the stock ourselves and having kind of control of that has been good as well. And that's, I mean, and we can lead into it in a bit about my family business and what they're doing. And like, it was the same thinking from my brother who was like, we want to have stock here because then people can see it. They don't want to have to deal with buying from China. They'll be able to drive up to the warehouse, load up their van, and that's it. And not dealing with buying 100,000 pieces, 200,000 pieces sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, for us, it was like just the beginning was trying to get buyers to, one, understand China, but also to trust us. Like, I think they're kind of looking at, you know, us as an extension of the, the factory, which to a certain extent we are. But, you know, usually when we talk to buyers, they're looking at us as the ones that they trust to, to make sure that things go, you know, according to plan. So it was kind of a weird, it was kind of a weird position at the beginning. And I think that kind of led us to being like, you know what, like we, if we're going to get these products to, to the U.S., we probably have to take some initiative and do it ourselves. Most of the customers that we come in contact with already have some idea of who we are and are vetted a little bit. So when they come to us, it's for added security to the manufacturing process. So to have people kind of think think of you as a roadblock is is a big change change of pace and dealing with all these people with these giant requests like like you were mentioning, Alan, but don't have any sense of what is really happening first and foremost, but then also don't have a lot of experience dealing with China. So, and I, I, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago where it's it's funny before people want to use Source Find Asia and sourcing because they go, these guys are in China, know what they're talking about, have dealt with factories and they have the trust issue with the factory. But then all of a sudden there was a, there's been a trust issue with us as well. And sort of going like, why should we trust you? And that's been, I mean, that's been a huge roadblock, but I think with a lot of these orders with people just, you have people trying to jump in, trying to make a quick book. And then you have people just not trusting all sides of the scenario because there's so much money involved and it's so unknown. And, and then of course, all these people are getting ripped off with dodgy gear out of China as well. Like there's been all the stories that have been reported, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's definitely been, it's definitely been difficult to get, to get orders over the line. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of conversations for not a lot of, uh, yeah. That's what closes. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I just, I think there were like, again, back to the kind of the business model that we're kind of looking at now and, and it's, it's, it's very similar to what my family business are going to do with buying in the stock, wholesaling out of the warehouse, having a sales team. Like, I think that's just, it's more of the norm <clears throat> and it's more what people are used to. So, and you're going to have, again, like as well, the, the way things are run here in Hong Kong, I think a lot of people are going to look at. So companies will bring staff back, either working in two shifts or working a week on, week off. Everyone is given masks. Everyone is given hand sanitizer. Um, there's the social distancing because all these, all these things will be in place for businesses to get, to open back up all these restrictions. So I think if, if we're in a situation to go, people can come along and buy a box or two boxes. It just makes, I think it makes life a lot easier.
definitely. With your family business, you're saying that there isn't that much PPE products in, in Ireland? Yeah. Uh, at the moment? I've, I've seen reports of, I think, about 200 million euros worth of goods being bought into Ireland, but it's all been for hospitals and medical use. Yeah, I, I, the, from the research we've done, no one's got masks. Ph- some pharmacies have masks, but the reason they're saying they have stock is because no one's out. So no one's leaving their house. So no one's going to the pharmacy to buy masks. Um, but they said once people do start going out, they'll run out of stock very quickly. Yeah, and as far as I'm aware, it's very similar in the UK with just a lack of supply for the general population. Charlotte's brother is a doctor in Edinburgh and he says like medical staff are wearing bandanas and, and scarves around their face. Like they don't have equipment um, and they're not being supplied equipment because or they're being told like, oh, they don't need it. But It sounds like the US like uh, six weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And then all the stuff that is coming into the UK goes straight to London. What's You know what's crazy is like uh, even just like the, the way that you like we've been dealing now with the whole CE certification thing, right? So like the way the EU is is responding to this in terms of the certifications is quite similar to the CDC six weeks ago. But then I feel like I don't see any movement in terms of them coming up with a new standard for the current situation, you know? So it's like extremely difficult to to, to export product to, to Europe. I mean, did I tell you about the, we had a 1,000 unit order to Denmark. No. Nope. Did I tell you what happened with that? Nope. Yeah. So um, through one of our through one of the investors in, in in our COVID coalition, like it was a friend of his who basically gathered up a bunch of people within you know his friend circle, uh, friends and family type thing, and they put together an order for about a thousand masks. And we, the, you know, there was a couple of different issues with that. Like it was like the payment arrived five seven days after he'd sent it so we took a while but production was fine um the shipping took like similar to the investment group the shipping took like two weeks plus to get to denmark because once the once dhl had picked up the goods they pretty much stayed in the dhl warehouse for like seven to ten days and then customs took a while but once it arrived in denmark you know the the danish customs took took the goods aside for further inspection, which is normal. It's happened to all of our goods going to the States, but they were like, Oh, you know, you know, these masks are, first of all, they changed it. It was supposed to be a friends and family shipment. And they said that this is going to a business address. So we think that you're going to sell these. And then two, they were saying, Oh, these masks don't, don't match the, um, the CE requirements. And he was like, well, like it's a, it's a personal shipment. So I don't think that should be an issue. And, you know, they just kind of, you had to basically convince them over a day and a half, two days. And it was like, even for a personal shipment of, of goods, it was just really, really difficult. You know, luckily he ended up getting the, the, the product out and I think he just had to pay. No, you didn't have to pay any additional taxes, but yeah, it was just. Some of these shipments that we've sent here has only been a box. But if it's over X number hundred of dollars, I feel like the two different carriers, DHL and UPS, gave me a different amount. But, you know, it was over $500 maybe. And you had to fill out, you know, long forms, all tax ID information, detailed information about, you know, where you bought the goods, all their, all the factory information, all the information on the product. It was 
something I've never seen for, especially for such a small shipment like that. Do you think we'll have any issues then with the order going into Ireland? Maybe it'll be a similar type thing where it just requires a lot more paperwork and authorization in order to get it across the board. But really just don't know until it gets there, unfortunately. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's a, that's a and I, I mean, I think with Ireland, it's a, it's a sea shipment. I think air, air shipments are probably way more strict. But yeah, no, it's like Mike said, it's like with everything that we're doing right now, there's so much uncertainty. At what stage do you think the EU relaxes their or comes up with a new standard? Because it seems like they went the opposite direction from the CDC. Like they went super strict and, and basically said, you know, 90% of factories don't qualify to, to export to, to Europe. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a hard one because, I mean, you, there was the, there was the, 600,000 KN95 masks that were rejected from Holland, I think it was. And like, and I think there was issues with them. I know Ireland's had some issues with gowns, but the gowns were just, it wasn't the quality, it was the sizing. They'd all arrived in. I Like, the arms were all short on them. So, I'd imagine they made Chinese sizes rather than European sizes. But yeah, like, I mean, it's such a hard thing, right? Because people need this stuff quickly. And they need to get it out and manufacture quickly. But then if they're making it harder and harder and harder for people to get it in, it's it's just not going to happen. Uh, like, I mean, even with the, um, the contact of mine from the other day from the Ministry of Defence in the UK, and they're looking for their COC reports. And again, they've kind of set their own standards. And they're saying we can't do anything unless that is. And that's, that's the problem. It seems that you have the European standard and then each country is coming out with their own standards saying, oh, this is what we want. And same with businesses, they're all going, they're all reading articles or being told information and then setting standards themselves. And and that's causing roadblocks again and just more hassle. And in a lot of cases, unrealistic standards based off the factors that are available or not realistic for the immediate term, it'll take them quite a bit of time to be able to meet all those requirements. Yeah, I mean, even with that Musgraves order, that they were looking for a million pieces and they wanted um, a medical, a three-ply medical mask, whatever standard, the EN standard they wanted. And I went back and asked them, I was like, do you need these? Because they're, um, they're a wholesale company. They're the large wholesale company, so they sell into, into businesses and restaurants. And I was asking, do you not just need a civil, like a civilian mask? Do you need a medical? one and they were like no this is the standard we need but it wasn't for medical use and they were like we need to wear these for four hours so this is the standard we need and like trying to explain to them like you can wear the three-ply civilian one for three hours like it's it's if you don't need it for medical or for like in in a hospital you don't need them but again someone's told them that and that's come from the top of their business and that's what they're sticking to that's uh that's the other issue we've been dealing with is just like um like most people that are buying the products are not experts in the standards and the, the product, which is also an unusual situation to be in. So it's like sometimes the things that they're requesting are either not realistic or unreasonable. Yeah. And, and dealing with the layers of people as well. So if you're dealing with like a contact has come to me going, <coughs> I have someone who wants this order. And then I'm going like I'm, I'm, we're having a conversation about it, and we're getting pricing and going back, and it's going to two, three, four layers of people, and then again people like adding in, adding in pricing and adding in their markup, and 
just the way I mean I suppose the message is, is even conveyed back to them it's it's a lot more complicated and then you've got the people in that chain who don't know what they're talking about because they've never dealt in this stuff I mean we've only been dealing in six weeks and like we're, like we're hardly experts but we know a lot more than most people because you're reading about it every day and you're looking into it every day and you can tell the difference between masks and like I, I got a message from a guy recently going, I, um, I need masks and gowns for the HSC in, in Ireland. And I was like, what type of masks and gowns? And he said, CE and FDA masks and gowns. And it's like, when you're getting that kind of information, it's like, and he's got a friend of a friend who's contacted him and they've got a contact and they'll buy it all. And it's just like, okay. You very quickly start um, knocking off the, the tire kickers. And you have a lot of people who are confident in, in what they don't know as well or what they think they know I should say yeah oh, I didn't hear back from that guy when I, I went back with an email asking all these questions and I haven't heard back from him the three weeks ago so yeah that's also been an interesting aspect of this is just dealing with people that we usually don't talk to like uh, you know we have such a, a such a good filtration system when it comes to leads that now it's like we're just dealing with a lot of people that are either time wasters or you know, don't know what they're doing or, uh, you know, probably just have stuff in place, stuff that they think they have in place that they don't really have in place. You know, it's like, a, it's a crazy, crazy world. Um, how's the rest of the business going? Are, are, do you have many, um, many people on you looking for other goods? Um, like, are, is there any other businesses? I know we've spoken about it before, like the gym, the gym equipment is being, is being a bit crazy. It's another big big in demand item um but has there been many people on looking for quotes and samples and things like that yeah you mean just a normal just in general, general yeah. i guess yeah uh yeah yeah actually i mean we've had i mean it's definitely definitely slowed down six weeks ago like we definitely had a couple of clients that we were working with who were like hey you know i'm gonna i'm gonna have to put the project on pause yeah for for a couple of weeks yeah the one client that was a relatively large consulting fee that was supposed to be a three to four month like product uh, ODM product uh, production I mean uh, sample production and he pretty much like dis- disappeared like we haven't heard from him you know this entire time we reached out to him a bunch of times so we had to put that on hold but you know we had some long-term projects like for example Bruda Buddha which is which is actually a yoga brand they have commitments because they have backers from their Kickstarter campaign. So we've, we've pushed on with that. And then we had a couple other ODM projects that are just ongoing uh, that have actually transitioned. I think last week I was telling Mike last week I had to pay for three different molds for original design. So that's, that's kicking on. But yeah, it's, I would say we're probably in the internal SFA stuff. We're probably running at about 60% you know, of most of our projects. The other projects on hold but we've definitely been interacting with a lot of people i think the sales cycle takes longer now just feel like people are taking a bit longer to 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 move forward or pay you know yeah sorry well, you guys um i mean the sourcing side yeah it's it's gone really quiet and the family business side with the bailey and brook brand obviously trade shows have all been canned in Hong Kong, they're, they're saying that they're going to have a big trade show in July, 25th of July. So it's going to be a, all four shows basically into one. But yeah, we've had 
two orders from that and everything else is just non-responsive from people um, and then all the all the newer leads of again again people are just not buying anything at the moment with earned it's it's been okay like taking along with sales but nothing nothing crazy we're, we're actually launching a new product today aqua bag so it's like a, a piece of gym equipment that you fill up with water and it's kind of like a sandbag bag that you fill up with water so we're kind of hoping that we'll get a bit of traction a good a lot of response from that from the post we put out so far so launch that today and then we're going to start running our ad campaigns again which we've shut off and have have a site-wide sale as well to try kind of push push some stock before our next launch in june but yeah i mean it's been mainly the ppe stuff that's been keeping me busy and then and yeah and then and the urine stuff is just kind of ticking along like we're in a kind of good position i think with earned um in regards to the next launch i think in hong kong i think by june things will be a lot better here um, even more so and then we we also did a bit of a raise before all this kind of happened and got some money in so that, that will tide us by for new ranges and and items that we're bringing out in the next year i suppose so uh, yeah it's all all pretty good at the moment sorry as as, as as good as it can be i've launched i've launched a brand during the protests in hong kong and the coronavirus after yeah. the shit timing that's ever happened but uh but apart from those two incidents it's been great It'd be interesting to see the, uh, the amount of businesses that launch during this whole time period because I, I when i was talking to mike before i was like oh, i watched a documentary a while ago which was about the, the amount of entrepreneurs that came out of the 2008 financial crisis this is like when people lose their jobs and don't have a way of making money or don't have jobs available that they can they can get they they usually get creative and come up with a lot of you know different business ideas especially now i think what's going to be interesting is when with the 2008 one there's a lot of people that were opening up like their own restaurants or coffee shops or you know delivery bakery thing now i think it's going to be more people jumping online like i think it's going to be more companies uh companies themselves setting up online and remote work systems but just entrepreneurs figuring out how they can make money while being at home yeah definitely i mean i i've had this conversation with a few people and i'm really intrigued to see the changes see what industries are going to explode like in china like online education working from home uh, the gym industry all these things i can see absolutely skyrocketing but um like you said a lot of people shifting online like like thank i'm so happy that we like don't have a retail store or anything like that because again i think that industry was dying before this but it's going to be hit even harder yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how people how people's kind of pivot and change and, and different ideas and concepts they come up with and i think i i, I remember after i wait the amount of uh, breweries and distilleries that opened in ireland was insane craft beer it went from about 30 craft beer companies that no one had heard about or drank to about 200 and about three or four years just exploded but yeah no i think i think you're right i think it'd be it'd be really interesting and then also the amount of during a normal a normal recession like this is going to lead on to a long recession and during a normal recession 25 percent of businesses crash so i think like a lot of industries you're going to look at closer to 50 percent could go under 
So there's going to be a lot of market space for people to take up and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people who are in a good position now and who don't have a lot of debt to buy up competition and to, and to add other brands to, to their business. Yeah, even uh, real, real estate and, you know, like some of the, the, the companies that are stable long-term that you could, uh, you could buy stock in that, you know, are going to bounce back in, in two or three years. Like it's, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, when things like this happen, there's a lot of opportunities for, for the people that have the funds to, to capitalize on the situation oh, yeah. or the means at least. A, fr- a friend of mine who works for Morgan Stanley was telling me that 72% of the world population will be worse off financially after this. So you have your 28% who will be fine and then your whatever 3% of that 28 will make an absolute killing. Like yeah, Morgan Stanley are about to announce their best ever quarter in the history of the business. And out of that 3%, 50% of that is, is in China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about the other day that because I read an article that the company who creates, who supplies the raw material for the masks, so there was some guy yeah. who was involved in that and his net worth's gone up like 1.2 billion quid or something like that. But though the, the factories in China, like the margins and the quantities that they're going through and I suppose the margins are getting smaller and smaller, but there's a lot of factory owners who are who are making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I was there's there's just a mass there's a mass transfer of wealth happening from the rest of the world going into mainland, and uh, I, I I yeah I, I'm curious to see what the numbers are going to be in terms of the amount of millionaires and billionaires that come out of this in mainland China, but not not even just millionaires or billionaires, but even like people that make six figures just you know five hundred thousand dollars eight hundred thousand dollars in the space of a month or two months like you know there's just going to be a new a huge wealth class that, that comes out of this yeah no definitely definitely i mean the middle class was growing what was it? it's growing by five million a year in china yeah i think at the moment so like yeah and there and china are going to be the ones who are going to recover quickest from all of this and the likes of Hong Kong who've handled it well, like they'll be the ones to eventually come out of it quicker. But yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people making a lot of money. It's been interesting to see that mainland China of all places has such little stimulus or government assistance being provided to businesses or, you know, people at large in the States, they've been cutting people checks. I mean, within a week, businesses were, you know, requesting billions of dollars from the government but Chinese approach has been more like you know the 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 strong will survive basically but the the problem is with America them cutting checks they're just devaluing the dollar so much and it just becomes worthless and then all these like there was um I just read a headline there yesterday I think in Bloomberg none of the small to medium-sized businesses that needed that money got any from the first bailout so uh, was it Shake Shack or five guys, I think it was five guys, got $10 million. And they're like, they're like not in any trouble whatsoever. And everyone was like, everyone started giving out stink about it. And then they, they gave the money back because, but like, why are they applying for it in the first place? Like they're in no trouble whatsoever. And, and it, that's the problem in America. It looks like they're just taking care of the bigger companies and not the small guys, which is the mass majority of, of companies out there. 
which is always the case. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always. All right, Alan, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch on? Um, no, no, that was, I mean, the main topic was just the, the PPE, right, and how we got into it. And I, I suppose the longevity of all this and how long we see this going on for, I thought, I, at first I thought it was going to be quite a short game. But the more I think about it, the more I think people, it's, it's going to become a bit more of a norm to have masks. A lot of businesses are going to have to have regulations in place to open. So I definitely think you'll have that supply going into your, your everyday company, which is again, why like the, or the way we've kind of pivoted, I think makes sense. And what the family business is doing, it kind of makes sense as well. So like, I can definitely see this going on for the next, I mean, like in America, it's going on for the next nine plus months. I think you're going to have a big spike come flu season, especially if they're opening everything up again. So yeah, I think I think more of a long-term play on, on selling the masks and, and, and dis, having a distribution setup um, is the way forward. If there are spikes in, in the U.S. and other places that will kind of guarantee the longevity of, of the, the, the business and needing this equipment. But I think there's going to be all kinds of opportunities, like you were saying, not, not just with um, distancing products and, and moving to online platforms but you know in that you're going to need to monitor the pop or that's how they're they're going to suggest that we handle this issue is to monitor the population more they back into buildings obviously you know what you've experienced in hong kong it it, it works and it's effective and keeping your face covered so and um, the, the other one actually i meant to mention to you guys is um the ceramic screens that they have in restaurants here. So if you sit at a table and say the table fits six people, they have a, they have one of those, um, just a, a plastic screen blocking you from the other people. And they have them in a lot of uh, perspex and they have them in a lot of restaurants here. Um, and then there's talk about, say you go into an office block and there's a reception desk and they'll have it around the reception desk so to stop again the spread, so like you can again you can, my brother was just talking about this. They're they're um, you can get ones purposely made up for companies, but you can also get generic ones that just go on a table. Um, so and a lot of restaurants are doing that in Hong Kong. So maybe that's again something that will be be in demand in the U.S. Yeah, and then those that uh, I mean I don't know when. Uh, well, I guess they said May, but those that spray. That, that yeah. has a three month, uh, like it kills the the kills the virus, and then it lasts for three months. Yeah, if that's real, if that becomes a widespread thing, I think that's going to be pretty huge. Not just in Hong Kong, but globally. Like, uh, I'm talking to the guy that approached me here in the Philippines about it. Like, he was like, he would pay whatever, you know, to to have that and be able to spray his 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 office with, you know, and, and protect that from from COVID for three months. You know? Yeah, that'd be huge in the gym industry as well. For sure. All right, man. Um, Alan, where if people want to reach out to you, how can they how can they contact you? Newlandsourcing.com and Alan at newlandsourcing.com. It would be the best way for all the sourcing business and then anything earned related, earnedathleticapparel.com and same handle as well for our Instagram account. 
Definitely. If you guys want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefindasia.com, uh, sourcefindasia.com slash made in China podcast episodes. And of course, the YouTube is sourcefindasia, all one word. Cheers. It's nothing new. Because this is exactly what I do. Uh, what up, E? <laughs> Weeds lit on this one. Yeah. Riding by myself. Uh. Yeah. Uh. The world turning. The weed burning. Them haters talking. I keep earning. Know some who say life's a bitch. Well, I'ma keep flirting. And fuck that bitch for the money. And Louis V purchases. Old folks jack my car. Cause they know just what this is.